Being a first-generation American isn't always easy. You have to balance different cultures, different ways of thinking, different identities. First-generation kids are their own trailblazers. I'm Helena Ramprasad. Welcome to There's Always a First, a podcast about first-generation Americans who are using their voices and talents to push the boundaries of culture. In this week's episode, I talked to Shivani Chandul. Shivani is the founder and creative director of Indo-Caribbean Bridal Magazine. She's also a poet. I talked to her about what it means to have a hyphenated identity and the importance of addressing mental health. So Shivani, thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Why don't you tell me, what does it mean to be Indo-Caribbean? What is the Indo-Caribbean culture? Oh, okay. Indo-Caribbean essentially means like Indian Caribbean. So basically means that our ancestors, of course, were put on a boat from India and taken to Guyana and Trinidad to become, you know, indentured servants and to work in plantations. And that's where our Indo-Caribbean culture really started. And it just kind of means to me that we're sort of both the cultures of not just being Indian, but also mixing with Caribbean. And a lot of people find themselves as an Indo-Caribbean saying, saying, no, like, yeah, I'm just West Indian. And like, I sort of let it, I just like let everyone identify with what they wanted to identify because I feel like it also is a struggle of identity with us because some of us are like, oh yeah, no, I just kind of follow Indian stuff. And some of them are like, no, I follow the Caribbean. So there is an identity crisis. But to me, being Indo-Caribbean just means embracing both, not just being Indian, but also having Caribbean as well. So let's talk about your poetry. I am one of the biggest fans of your writings. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. And what I really like is how much you talk about mental health and about topics that are considered taboo within Indo-Caribbean culture. Is that something that always came naturally to you? I don't think that it's, it's easy, say, and I tried to talk about topics that really were affecting me. I was so afraid of what others might say or do with it or if they would just kind of like double tap and scroll away from it. I think that my only focus was just on how it made me feel It made me feel so amazing to be able to talk about stuff like that and to write about it. And sooner or later, I started getting DMs on people who have went through the same thing or were opening up their eyes. Tell me a little more about that moment when you decided, you know what, I'm going to share this poem on Instagram. What, What was driving you? Oh, okay. I was, I have to be completely honest, I was post-breakup. I was with someone for four years, and I just did not feel like me in that relationship. And I did a lot of self-reflection. Why didn't that make me happy? And I, I came to a realization, and it took, I would say, a lot of therapy and being super honest with myself to realize that I'm not being, I was hiding the parts of myself that had went through such huge amount of trauma. I don't revisit the memories of what has happened so often because I feel like 
I've healed from them, but I do understand completely it is 100% part of me and I should not ever downgrade what has happened to me and, and essentially it has made me who I am. And I think that me embracing those parts of me was me embracing the poetry. And that's when I decided that like, okay, I'm not only gonna share these happy moments that everyone shares on social media where it's like, I'm smiling and like just happy things. I wanted to share every, like not every single part of me, but the parts of me I feel like that made me. And poetry was something that I took from that pain and I put it down on paper and I was like, okay, this is a part of me that I wish to express. So I'm gonna put it out there. I think it's really powerful that you have decided to be open and to share your struggles with mental health with the people in your circle. And you have clearly have a great impact you're making. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. So obviously, do you feel that there is a space within the Indo-Caribbean culture to talk about mental health? I think that there are little peaks coming out but I feel like it's honestly just between the younger generation. There has never been, not that I've I've seen, but um, a space where we can have older generations and younger generations discuss about mental health. And I feel like that's sort of what needs to happen because yes, I'm glad younger generations have this you know, platform to talk about mental health and stuff. But I feel like I have heard, I have, you know, read about the amount of people that have opened up about their mental health, that their parents don't believe in therapy. It's not that they don't believe in it. They just feel like, you know, you shouldn't have that problem. The whole depression and mental health in general is not a thing for them. And it's, it's not just like people in Guyana and Trinidad and like the in South America, it's, it's over here. It's in you know New York and Florida and Canada, um, and it's really sad. Let's talk about therapy. When did you decide to go to therapy? Was that a difficult decision for you and your family? Well, I, I can't really say I decided because my mom dragged me to therapy, um, and it was around I would say seventeen. And I was in a very, very dark place. I I feel like at first, my mom didn't really consider it because she didn't really understand depression and it's the depth of what, how it affected me until I think it became very clear that I was not myself and I was completely, I just became the depression and Shivani was kind of not here anymore. And I think that it was really brave of her, you know, looking back because I didn't really think about it back then, but take me to, you know, a counselor and to get me help. And I'm grateful for it because if she didn't do that, I don't really think I would have survived it. A lot of Indo-Caribbean parents don't understand depression. Like you said, your mother didn't really understand what you were going through at first. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give somebody going through depression, struggling with their mental health, who 
does not have the support of their family? That's a really tough one. Honestly say, just having a simple conversation. I know it's like easier said than done, but I found that sometimes taking a deep breath and telling my mom I need to talk to her and it's very serious has really helped me and say, look, I'm not doing so well. You know, my mom would want me to go to temple and I wouldn't want to go there because there are certain things that have happened and it was just really traumatic to me. And, and I would have to sit her down and say, I'm not doing so well. I can't go there. And I can't go there because every time I go there, it just makes me want to like jump off a bridge. And I know that sounds really graphic and that sounds really scary, but that was what was happening with me at the time. And I said, I don't want to lose my life, but I don't want to keep feeling like this. So you're going to have to let me like stay home and you're going to have to let me find a way to like connect to religion that's not there. And you have to understand that. And she did. I mean, it took her a few times, but she eventually did. She understood that um, this was something that was really affecting me. And I'm not saying to go sit down and like tell your parents that like you want to kill yourself because no, I just want to say like sit down and try to be as serious and as possible and be honest. Like I'm not feeling well. And these are the thoughts that I'm having in my head. And I realized that saying those thoughts no matter how scary and raw and taboo it sounds saying to your parents really helped my situation because she really understood that the Shivani that I was when I was a little girl isn't the one now because she wouldn't be having those thoughts if she was. So the title of this show is There's Always a First. And I think you really embody that when it comes to having difficult conversations about mental health within the Indo-Caribbean culture. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) So, as you said before, what really needs to happen is taking that first step to have that difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about a time you had to have this difficult conversation, you had to talk about something that was painful or traumatic, And how did you walk yourself through that process? I am a person that likes to keep things in. I think that a lot of us, you know, have that issue. So I tend to to like bottle it up until one day it kind of hit me. And um that's why I'm saying please have the serious conversation because it was one day where I was having a full-blown anxiety attack on the highway and it was just really bad and my mom you know I was actually on my way to therapy thank god my mom had to come get me and we had to go to like the doctor to see if like blood pressure was okay and then when we got home I think she said something like it's just a bad day I would say it took a lot of courage for me to sit there and say, no, it's, it's not just a bad day. You have to understand this doesn't happen after a bad day. I don't have a full-blown anxiety attack on the highway 
because of just one bad day. It's, it's every little thing that I have been pushing down that has building up inside of me. And that's what you have to understand. It's, so I constantly have to have hard conversations with her. Um, and I think that like, you just have to be patient. I would, I was angry that like, you know, the first moment when I heard that buildup of like many bad days or a buildup of just not feeling well, as much as I want to be so angry, I have to be so patient because it doesn't just take, you know, one conversation. It takes an amount of other conversations and it's hard. It's, it's extremely hard, but I feel like it has also given me a sense of relief after every time I've said it because I know what I'm saying is truthful I'm not I'm never holding anything back good for you (laughs) thank you (laughs) (laughs) so you have a lot of exciting things on the horizon a lot of cool things you're working on including this new book so why don't you tell me about it okay well this top secret information <laughs> is called The Broken Coconut. And basically, it's a poetry collection out of all my experiences as being an Indo Caribbean American. So it has like different chapters. So it's from love, which is the chapter of water, and oil, which is the chapter of self-love, and shredded, which is the chapter of, I would say, like all the trauma um, that I've had to deal with, or that's in general trauma, I feel like the Indo-Caribbean society holds. Uh, The name, The Broken Coconut, came to me because, number one, I love coconuts. Number two, anytime my mom has ever discussed like Guyana or brought up Guyana back home she always talks about like the coconut tree and like what they use coconuts for so I thought it was like very symbolic to Guyana and South America and I also realized that you know coconuts are very spiritual in Hinduism they represent like when you break the coconut it represents um, humbling yourself to God and it's always used in auspicious beginnings not only represents like the culture um, and you know South America itself but it also represents me I always saw myself before as like this really hard shell and inside of the shell there was so many things that I've kept up and I think that we keep locked up for so long and I kind of just wanted to break it I think that's really cool what you're doing another cool thing you're working on is Indo-Caribbean bridal magazine which you started all by yourself Is this something you always dreamed of doing? No, this is not something that I dreamed of when I was a kid. Actually, when I was a young girl, I think that like most of us, I dreamt of doing the typical, growing up, having a fairytale wedding. As a kid, I wanted to be a doctor because that's what I was told. (laughs) I was told either a doctor or a lawyer or anything of that sort. Um, But I mostly dreamed about having a wedding. Like, I feel like all girls sort of dream of because that's what we're mostly taught to dream of and it wasn't a single moment that made me start this magazine it was definitely a build-up and I think it was because of all the other experiences in my life so I was undergrad I was a communication technology student um, with a concentration in television production and I quickly noticed that even though I went to a school 
that had a lot of Indo-Caribbeans. There was not really that much Indo-Caribbeans in my field itself. And I was not only like the only female, I would say, in some of my classes, but the only female Indo-Caribbean. And I just felt like I was like, okay, I'm doing all this work for like these big clients, but how do I represent me? How do I represent my own community? And and last October, I was speaking with uh, one of my friends who actually has her own um, sort of organization called the Coconut Collective, which is basically like little brown diaries. And that really sparked me to start the magazine. At first, it wasn't going to be a magazine. It was just going to be sort of a publication that lives on social media and on the website. But then I was just like, no, I want to take this a bit further. I want to give myself what I didn't have when I was younger. And that is a physical or a digital magazine that I can flip through and see girls like me. And I just didn't know what I wanted it to be. But then I had a wedding. My best friend got married that summer. And I remember how fun it was having, helping her out with planning the wedding because you know, I knew a lot of vendors. I was really keen to detail. And I grew up as a dancer dancing all the weddings, so I observed a lot. Um, and I felt like one way I can bring this to work, I can make it work, is using weddings because I feel like wedding, weddings aren't just like, a two-family thing it's a whole village and that's how it was celebrated um in Guyana and that's I feel like that's how it's still celebrated today like everyone just kind of celebrates with everyone and I thought that the way to bring the culture together and to make this work and to open our eyes to the fact that we can and we will um, be recognized in a professional publication is through weddings. How did your parents feel about you starting a bridal magazine? Well, my mom had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. She was like a bridal magazine, you know, like, like what, like a book? Okay, Shivani, like you do you. Like, um, and then when it started to grow and she started to understand more of what's happening and what's going on, she definitely took an interest in it. And she was very supportive when I uh, wanted to make this into an LLC. We sat down with an accountant together and she was the person who got the accountant for me. Now she's 100% supportive, I would say. Every time I come home and something frustrates me, she's like, okay, well, you have a business. Like you have to understand that these things are gonna happen. I think it's nice that your mom is so understanding and so helpful when it comes to your business. Yes, I am grateful for it because I feel like not everyone has that kind of support from their mom, especially in like a creative venture like this. Thank you so much, Shivani, for talking to me and thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. Be sure to visit Shivani's work at IndoCaribbeanBrideMagazine.com to check out our poetry Follow her on Instagram at drifted underscore in underscore dreams. Our music is courtesy of Ben Sound Studios. Special thanks again to Shivani Chandul for being our first guest. This has been There's Always a First. I'm Helena Ramprasad. Thank you for listening. <laughs>